Hello and welcome to our quarterly podcast. I'm Helen Watson, CEO of the UK Wealth Management Business, and I'm joined today by our Chief Global Investment Strategist, Kevin Gardner, and one of our co-heads of Portfolio Management, Hugo Capelcure. As usual, we sit down at the end of the quarter to discuss the last three months of macro market and portfolio activity. So Kevin, another interesting quarter. What do you think the kind of key developments were from your perspective? No, that's right, Helen, as, as always. Well, the most striking thing for me was that uh, we finished the previous quarter worrying about banks, and those worries went away remarkably quickly, and that allowed the global stock market to resume its rally. And year to date, we're now up by about 15%, and the market's up by a quarter mm-hmm. from October's low, absolutely. Um, it's still about a tenth of the pre-invasion peak, however, um, and the gains so far pretty narrow. A, lo- a large part of the market's advance has really been driven by seven big US companies. So we could do with seeing that broaden out a little, but it has been quite a striking rebound uh, nonetheless. And what was particularly interesting about this quarter was that that stock market rebound happened even as interest rates carried on rising and as, on bo- as bond prices were continuing to fall. And that trend now has gone so far that uh, interest rates at long last are now back in territory that we used to think of as normal. Mm-hmm. Some of this. <laughs> Some of this, and absolutely, yeah, younger people like Hugo, I mean, no. I'll take that. Within bond markets as well, one of the intriguing things there is that there's quite a message coming out because long-term interest rates have been rising much less than short-term interest rates. And in the conventional bond markets, we've seen prices being a little bit less fragile than in the index link market. And both of those things are telling us that the bond market effectively is saying that inflation isn't going to be out of control for much longer. Um, It's going to subside. And uh, the big uncertainties really are about the levels of real policy rates that the central banks are going to push through. And it's the UK that's really been in the van of that movement in the last three months, at least, because of the big three Western central banks, apologies to Canada, but uh, the Fed hiked interest rates least, and the Bank of England had to hike them at the most. That's probably because its credibility had been damaged, arguably, by more than either the Fed's mm. or the ECB's previously. Just to cap uh, or to you know, finish up with the roundup, finish the roundup of the quarter, commodity prices remain pretty soft. Uh, natural gas actually slumped to a new low before stabilizing. Uh, crypto assets, though, remain pretty stable. Not that that makes us find them attractive. That's not making you change your not mind. Not at all. Thinking about this, I mean, the, the sort of economic geopolitical drivers behind those market movements, what, what do you think they were? Because some of them are somewhat inconclusive, perhaps. Very, very much so. And that's that's why... The movement in the equity market does look pretty narrow. And for me, it's got more to do with the individual sectors and stocks driving the advance than with a big macro change in mood. Because, as you say, the economic backdrop growth-wise, it remains pretty anemic. And although inflation is coming down, it's coming down pretty gradually. And core inflation is looking a little bit uh, sticky. So, as you say, the big questions... Will there be a bust? Will there be a boom? Are we looking at stagflation? Is Goldilocks coming back into town? Uh, Those questions are still unresolved. That said, there was a a distinct change in the mood 
and for the better in at least one big economy. Bit of an exception. But here in the UK, unusually, growth expectations actually improved. And the Bank of England's call for the longest post-war recession, which it made so confidently and which has been broadcast as fact so widely since last August, was very quietly shelved. In fact, the Bank of England added four percentage points to its projection for GDP in the UK in the middle of 2024. For a nerd like myself, that's sensational. Four percentage yeah. points on GDP. That's a remarkable yeah, change yeah. to its forecast. So the UK, a little bit of an exception. Things not as bad as they, feeled, as, as they felt previously. But um, generally, as you say, the big economic issues haven't yet been uh, resolved. And all, of course, all the time in the backdrop, We've got this horrible attrition going on in Ukraine. And for us, more profoundly, you've got that continuing uncertainty surrounding uh, Southeast Asia and China's mm. claim on Taiwan, whether they will or won't act on that. We'll come back to you for a bit of crystal ball gazing later, Kevin, if we can. Um, Hugo, moving on to the portfolios, um, in terms of how they fared over the last quarter, where, where, do we, where are we kind of left at the uh, first half of the year? Yes, so as usual, these numbers are for the balance portfolios and their new court fund equivalents. So for sterling portfolios, these were up just over 2% uh, for the quarter, which takes us to nearly 7% for the first half of the year. Uh, dollar portfolios, these are up around 4% for the quarter, and so it takes us to between 95 and 10%. Uh, for H1. And finally, Euro portfolios, these are up around 3.5% for the quarter, taking us to 8% uh, for H1. So portfolios continued the recovery, which started in the fourth quarter of last year. Um, as tends to be the case, the differences in performance mainly relate to currency movements. And um, as, I, as I flagged in the last podcast, the pound has been the strongest of the three currencies mm. this this year with the dollar lagging. And, and this continues to be the uh, case. And that's a huge recovery, isn't it, from the sort of low points we had around the sort of trust debacle last year? We do. I and mean, if we think that the pound got down to 103, so very nearly parity against the uh, dollar, it's up about 25% since. Mm. It's one of the biggest rallies we've seen in yeah, the UK currency say. ever. Yeah. And it's gone completely unreported. Yeah. Completely unreported. It's extraordinary. Turning back to the portfolios, Hugo, you know, what have the main performance drivers been? How have the return assets done and the diversifiers? Yes. So if I take the uh, sterling balance portfolios as the example, uh, the return assets, in other words, the stocks were up 5.3% in local currency terms over the quarter. So this was a little bit behind the broader equity market, which was up 6.5%. However, the return assets are still ahead of equity markets for the first half of the year. And within that, the biggest contributors to performance were Ryanair again, so up another nearly 16%. Travel continues to bounce back very strongly uh, with planes full and fares rising. Uh, Microsoft was a material um, contributor there. The shares were up 18.3% um, over the quarter helped by the excitement around their developments in AI, such as their investment in ChatGPT. Bit of a feature, this, isn't it? It certainly is. So the ratings agencies, again, S&P Global and Moody's, up uh, 16 and uh, nearly 14% in turn, really recovering from an earlier period of poor performance. But again, these are two companies that have also had some AI fairy dust uh, sprinkled on them. And finally, Warren Buffett's um, Berkshire Hathaway 
up uh, just over 10%. It doesn't hurt that Berkshire owns 6% or $175 billion worth of Apple stock, and that Apple was up around 18% uh, in the second quarter. The biggest um, things that went down were amongst the funds, so Vanda in China, again, Lansdowne and Phoenix, which are more skewed to the UK and Europe. The excitement in markets really has been focused on these seven, you know, these magic seven mega cap tech stocks that Kevin was talking about mm. earlier. Every, everything else has been, in, has been in the shade. And so, as we said, the AI sort of fairy dust, I think you called it. Um, has helped on the return asset side. What about the diversifiers? Well, overall, they were down um, 0.6%, leading to a contribution at portfolio level of minus uh, 0.2. But within this, there was a fair amount of variation. So on the plus side, the trend followers were uh, strong. They're up 8% overall for the last quarter. The Okura Fund performed well, up 4% for the quarter. This was driven by holdings in currency options, where they benefited from weakness in the yen. On the negative side, the Sabah Fund gave up 7% as credit spreads continue to be um, very robust. We still feel that this fund is a very interesting way to hedge against any accidents in corporate bond markets, which wouldn't be a surprise to us, given how much interest rates and bond yields have risen recently. Bonds lost value as bond yields climbed, so the inflation-linked bond bonds lost some 1.5%, and the nominal bonds lost around 2%. This was in the context of the UK government bond index, the gilt index, losing some 6% over the same period. So we're still positioned on a conservative basis when it comes to bonds, and we're using weakness to gradually build positions at higher yields. And finally, the recently bought uh, put option lost some value since it was purchased. And this is exactly what, what we'd expect, given the passage of time and uh, rising markets. So Hugo mentioned the Sabah fund, which gave up about 7% as credit spreads continued to be, in our minds, sort of surprisingly robust. I guess the question, Kevin, I was going to come to you with is that, is there a sort of typical lag where you would normally see that start feed through in terms of credit spreads? Or I, Yeah, I don't know if the lag is fixed uh, or that there's any any particular number of months that you can say is, is a norm, but you, you'd usually expect the economy to turn down noticeably before, before spread start, it's, yeah. spreads widened yeah. and defaults, etc. Even if you've had such a big pickup in interest rates. Yeah. yeah, and and so far at least the economy, despite that pickup in interest rates, economies haven't turned down. As you said earlier, yeah, yeah. in fact, looking about better than people believe. C certainly here in the UK, at least. Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry, Hugo. Back to you. So the diversifying assets were basically a wash overall. What have you been doing in the portfolios? What about transactions? Yes, there have been a few transactions. So the trend followers. So we added to the position in the trend followers. So we bought some Abbey Focus Fund and some CFM IS trends and the equity capped variant of that. And this is reversing the move that we made last October when we took 2% out of the trend followers after a very strong run of performance, which had pushed their combined weight to around 10% of portfolios, which we felt was too much. Since that time, the trend followers had fallen back a bit and equity markets had rallied, leaving the weighting at 6.5%, mm -hmm. which we felt was too low. Mm -hmm. So we added 1.5%, which took the weighting back to roughly 8%. So I've just said that the trend followers were very strong last quarter. And so adding to them when we did was very, was very, was very helpful. 
the irony of this is that we're generally skeptical about our ability to add value through market timing. And when it comes to these types of funds, I would say that our ability is approximately zero. So the fortuitous timing is just luck in this instance. And we've also made some changes to the equity holdings. We reduced the weightings in Constellation Software, Moody's and S&P. These had all been strong performers and we felt that the weightings had become too, too large. And in the case of the ratings agencies, we recycle the proceeds into a new position, something of a mouthful, uh, Canadian Pacific Kansas City. So, so what is it? CPKC hmm. is a North American railroad, uh, which has just been formed from combining two smaller railroads, Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern. Why is this interesting to us? Because the result of this takeover is a rail network that stretches from Canada to Mexico, and it provides several options for long distance freight, especially from Mexican and Canadian ports into the US. I mean, this extended network should be able to take 200 to 300,000 trucks off the road in time, which I think is staggering. And it is a massive reduction of fuel burn associated to greenhouse gases. And we also think that the economics and the forward returns that we should be able to capture from this deal are very attractive. So talking of forward returns, Kevin, um, you know, where do you think we stand in terms of the economic outlook, given the developments that you highlighted earlier? Well, effectively, looking at the slope of the yield curve, that's the gap between long-term and short-term interest rates, it's very negative. And looking at the fact that index link gilts are underperforming conventional gilts, that's telling us that the bond market effectively is saying that it believes central banks will do whatever it takes to pull inflation down. And so far, the equity market is saying that that might happen and it needn't result in a horrible recession. And from our point of view, I'm not sure we'd go go so far as to agree completely with the assumptions, but we broadly agree. Monetary policy is not affecting as many households as it could have done. And once the dust has settled, I think central banks are going to have to have a little bit of a policy rethink uh, there. And of course, lower energy costs are now riding to the rescue of disposable income for lots of European households in particular. In fact, we could be on the brink of one of the fastest ever rebounds in real wages that we've seen uh, that we've seen in the data as those lower energy costs come through in the second half of the year. And that's going to help keep a lid on wage inflation itself and eventually on interest rates too. So it's not crazy to imagine a world in which inflation does come down, there isn't a horrible slump, and in which both markets eventually manage to do okay rather than just the equity market uh, on, on, it, on its own. We are a little bit surprised, as I touched on earlier and Hugo's picked up on this, at the fact that stocks have moved quite some way already, but it has been really narrowly led and that technology story has got a lot to do with it. Doesn't mean that it's not got substance to it, it just means that this is not the macro train leaving the station, mm. if that makes sense. So we could still have that departure to look forward to further down the road. And on the AI story itself, people do take really strange notions in both directions. People either feel that it's about to abolish scarcity or perhaps it heralds uh, the abolition of jobs for everybody and that maybe mass unemployment looms. The reality is that artificial intelligence is not intelligent and the gains, I think they're real, but they're incremental. They're not game-changing games.
One question we were being asked completely understandably is why should I bother with a balanced portfolio? I can get better rates on cash and short term bonds. You know, and I think it's a pretty fair question when short term bonds yield kind of 5% in sterling and dollar terms at least. Maybe Kevin, can you respond first and then we'll turn to Hugo? No, it's a great question. And I had to go back to the textbooks to address it because it's been a long, long time since we've had to answer mm. that sort of question. Um, but term deposits and uh, short term bonds are really indeed, as you say, offering pretty competitive returns. And for a lot of investors, a bigger allocation to both of those things will make some sense. From our point of view, though, we're trying to take a really long term view of investing here. And those short term interest rates are not necessarily quite as compelling on in that context as they might 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 appear. So from our top down vantage point, uh, stocks, which are the bulk of most balanced portfolios, probably still offer better long term total returns than today's short term interest rates. The dividends themselves from those stocks are not quite as attractive as the income from today's short-term interest rates, but those dividends grow over time. And that growth, well, it's not guaranteed, but in our view, it's not likely, it's not likely to um, just match inflation. It will probably beat inflation on a long-term view. And on a long-term view, the growth in dividends will be reflected in stock prices. So the total return on stocks on a long-term view can exceed the likely returns on today's cash and today's short-term bonds, and probably buy enough to compensate for the added risk as well. And another, another thing to bear in mind as well, of course, is that um, short-term interest rates do vary with monetary fashion. The chaps across the road, and chap S's, apologies, may at some stage decide that uh, they've had enough of fighting inflation and policy rates may actually turn out in real terms not to be as attractive as they might seem likely to be um, at, uh, at, at the moment. And in our view, owning a basket of diversified businesses is a better way of hedging against inflation than necessarily trusting central banks on a long-term view. Not because business is engaged in what people are starting to call greedflation. Uh, it's simply that businesses pass their costs on so margins themselves don't necessarily expand, but they're just defended um, if companies, as Hugo knows, um, have a competitive edge which allow them to uh, to do this. So uh, Hugo's already made the market timing point. And from my point of view, those are the reasons for thinking that long-term investing still argues in favour of a balanced portfolio rather than putting everything in cash or short-term bonds. So Hugo, um, fair question. <laughs> What do you, what's the debate on the team? Yes, it's a, it's a fair question and it's been subject of a lot of uh, debate on the, on the investment desk. And I agree with Kevin. Um, I think the first point is that there, there is a stronger case to be made for including back, um, cash and bonds into investment portfolios. Up until relatively recently, the acronym on everybody's lips was TINA, which was there is no alternative uh, to equities. Um, and with cash and bonds essentially yielding nothing and incredibly even less than nothing in, in, in the case of some European bonds, investors were forced into equities. That has obviously changed. Uh, apparently, the new ac acronym is TARA, which stands for There Are Reasonable Alternatives. And where does this uh, leave us? As with Kevin's top-down view, we're seeing attractive bottom-up returns from the stocks and um, funds in the portfolio at present, particularly in some of the out-of-favour markets. And over the long term, equities have proved a better inflation hedge than cash, and especially net of tax. 
Um, however, we're finding bond rates more attractive, and that's why we've been buying longer dated bonds, which is you know, a real change from the history of the last 15 years. The final point I would um, mention is that we are actively picking up these better cash rates in a number of the funds too, especially on the diversifying side of the portfolio. So, for example, the trend-following funds are largely invested in cash, which provides the buffer for their futures trading. And this cash is invested in short-term treasuries at attractive rates. And it's a similar story for funds like the Acura and the One River too. So a long answer from me, and I, I suppose the key thing is that we still feel balanced portfolios are attractive and they're more likely to deliver inflation plus returns over the long term than just sitting in cash. And at the same time, we're actively taking advantage of better cash and bond rates. So, um, Hugo, it's the usual question, but what is getting you excited? Ah, yes, indeed. There are a couple of things. So the first thing, and it's it's a, a recurrent theme, it's this narrow market. So Kevin and I have both been talking about the fact that all of the action in stock markets has been concentrated in the in the magnificent seven mega cap tech related stocks. So it's Amazon, Alphabet, formerly known as Google, Apple, Meta, which is the old Facebook, Microsoft, Nvidia, the chip maker, and Tesla. So this has thrown up a mass of stats. So Apple is now more valuable than the FTSE one, uh, FTSE one hundred, and was also briefly I mean, more. That's extraordinary, isn't it? <laughs> well, it was perhaps brief... justified, but <laughs> it was briefly last last quarter more valuable than the Eurostoxx fifty index of leading European companies as well. Um, in the first half of the year, these magnificent seven stocks accounted for roughly. 80% of the gain in the S&P 500 index of leading US shares. Two-fifths of the S&P stocks were actually down in the first half of the year. So the index was up 17%, but the median stock was only up 5%. And why... I was going to say, this doesn't sound exciting. This sounds well, slightly daunting. It's, it's exciting because the action's been so concentrated in a small number of stocks that other things have been overlooked. Yeah. And plenty of companies are doing fine. They're generating good earnings and cash flows. And there's some really interesting pockets of value dotted around the world. So the UK market has never, it's never recovered valuation-wise from Brexit. Uh, the ASEAN region has looked cheap for quite a while, in our view. China, especially the offshore listed shares, are deeply out of favour. So we're seeing we're seeing lots of interesting value in markets, and I think it's because so much of the market has been concentrated. There was an article in the FT today about Nvidia being a hedge fund hotel and all the big um, funds owning it. And the other thing, um, in terms of what is getting us excited, is we're really you know, properly getting back onto the road post the pandemic, and that's been fantastic. And this is where we can feel we we feel that we can really add to value. So doing proper fundamental primary research out in the field, meeting companies and competitors and suppliers and customers, etc. So Hugo, you are getting out more. Yes, we are getting out more. Uh, two colleagues have just come back from meeting CPKC in Kansas. Um, they really got a feel for the opportunity from this merger by talking to a lot of people on both sides of that deal at different levels of seniority. 
They even saw the new prototype hydrogen locomotive, which is pretty high tech for what you might think is an old fashioned industry. Train spotting. Train spotting. Okay. Colleagues have um, been meeting companies and industry experts in the US, Canada, across Europe, especially in Scandinavia, China, and Indonesia so far this year. I'll be meeting companies in India and companies and farmers in the largest agricultural show in central Illinois over the next couple of months. I mean, it sounds really obvious, but we learn a lot more when we get up from behind our screens and get out and about. Great. Well, um, I'll be interested to hear what you've got to say post your agricultural show, knowing your love of gardening, Hugo. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. We always try to touch on the topics which you may be concerned or interested in. So please keep sending any questions you may have to your client advisors, and they will, of course, be happy to discuss anything we speak about here in further detail. Remember that our podcasts are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you wish to receive our podcasts as soon as they're released or listen to some of the others, please subscribe to our channel on either of those platforms. Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Hugo and Kevin. Please note, this audio content is produced by Rothschild & Co. for information purposes only. The podcast is not provided as a solicitation, recommendation, or invitation to buy or sell any security, fund, or any other banking or investment product. Nothing in this podcast constitutes advice of any sort, and no responsibility is accepted in relation to the content accuracy or any reliance on the information provided. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not recover the amount of your original investment. Past performance should not be taken as a guide to future performance. This content should only be used or reproduced with the express written permission of Rothschild & Co.